Welcome to another episode of Saints and Sinners Unplugged. I am Pastor Ken Jones of Glendale Missionary Baptist Church. I am joined by Pastor Jose Prado from Christ City Church, Pastor Aldo Leon from Reconcile Church, and Pastor David Menendez from Tamiami Baptist Church. Now, this is a special adventure. We are not taping from our regular location, but we are coming to you from the sanctuary of Glendale Missionary Baptist Church. And the reason we are here is we are concluding our first Saints and Sinners Unplugged conference. It was entitled Recovering Grace. And so we are actually doing this in the presence of a live audience here at Glendale Baptist Church. See, that's, that's proof that this is a live audience that wasn't canned, so they can do it again, right? See? <laughs> That, that's that's not a sound effect. That's that I did I didn't hit a button. That, that was the that, that actual. That means they they've been paid well. They've been paid well. Yes. <laughs> or actually, we have them locked in and they can't get out unless they cheer. So. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but anyways, we're going to continue our discussion on Luther's theology of the cross, but we will be allowing room for questions uh, and answers. As I said, we've talked about Luther's theology of the cross versus the theology of glory. In our previous discussions, the emphasis has been on the manifestations of various strands of a theology of glory. But I want to begin with the question, so how does a theology of glory manifest itself in the use of the sacraments? And on the other hand, how does a theology of the cross uh, impact one's view of the sacraments? Well, I think the, the theology of glory does manifest itself in, in how we view uh, and experience the sacraments in the sense that uh, the theology of glory places the emphasis uh, not, on what the, uh, not what on the sacraments point to, which is the cross mm -hmm. of Christ, but it places the emphasis on uh, the obedience mm. of uh, those who are partaking of the sacrament. Well, I'm glad you're the one that answered that, Jose, because in the conference that's recently concluded, your message was on the means of grace, how God's grace is dispensed, and you emphasize the sacraments. And you made mention of something that I think is probably most of the experience of, of those of us who did not grow up in Reformed churches as it relates to Paul's words in 1 Corinthians 11 about uh, examining oneself. Yeah, and mainly what we were saying is that when we come to the communion table and you hear Paul uh, exhorting the Corinthians of why uh, he cannot uh, uh, he cannot encourage them in their actions at the table. A lot of times what will happen is uh, pastors, I mean, I found myself doing this years mm -hmm. ago, uh, right? We, we will come to the communion table and when Paul says that uh, a man that comes to the communion table must examine himself. We normally take that to mean that somehow we must view inwardly into, uh, you know, what kind of sins I've committed, uh, you know, what I do last night, what I do this week. How obedient have I been before the Lord? And, and haven't we all heard that what that means is you are not to receive the supper if you have any unconfessed sin. That's right. That's I mean, that's the assumption. But as I explained in the conference, I don't believe that, that was, that's what Paul is, is saying. What Paul is actually saying is when we examine ourselves, 
uh, we are able to see our need for the gospel, our need for what that sacrament, in, in the case of communion, what it's representing, what it's pointing to. Uh, and, and therefore, we can come with a, with a right understanding of what that bread and that, uh, and that wine represent. So when we look at ourselves as being somehow qualified to be at the table, because we assume that, well, yeah, I've examined myself and I look pretty good, then that is using the sacraments in light of a theology of glory. That's right. Yeah, Luther says in his Heidelberg Disputation that without a theology of the cross, man misuses the best wow. in the worst possible manner. Wow. And that's an example of such a misuse. Well, you know, it's, it's interesting. I was uh, speaking at a conference in Kentucky one year, and... This was on a Friday night, and in the middle of my first message, I noticed a gentleman coming in. He came in kind of late, and at the end of the, that evening, he came over to me, and he, he spoke to me. He, he said, I, I just wanted to get, I apologize for being late, but I just wanted to come and speak to you. As it was, he was from Southern California, and he said, I remember listening to you guys on the White Horse Inn, and you talked about, I heard you talk about what it does and does not mean to examine yourself at the Lord's table. He said, the night that I heard that, I hadn't received communion mm -hmm. in over three years. Yeah. Yeah. And he said, it was so liberating to know that I'm not unqualified if I have unconfessed sin. And he said, I just wanted to, I know I'm late, but I just wanted to come and say thank you. Yes. You know, and so exactly what you're saying, there's so much damage that can be done with good things, those things that are intended to heal us, that we use them as sledgehammers to beat people up and to drive them into deeper despair when we don't make the right distinctions between law and gospel. Yeah, yeah. I think it's, it's important to think, too, that the nature of the gospel will qualify the nature of things in the church like proclamation, preaching, sacrament. So the sacrament, like the Lord's table, it can't be something that's inconsistent with the nature of the gospel. It tells us that what somebody does for people that they can't do for themselves, and in them having something done for them by somebody else, they then get everything they need. That qualifies the way we see the Lord's table. So mm -hmm. I say this sometimes. If the Lord's table is qualified by the nature of the gospel, and if the gospel tells us that we can't do anything good apart from the work of Christ ever, then you can't say to people that they need to do something good in themselves to come to the sign yeah. of the gospel reality because I need the sign that points me to Christ to cleanse me as I look to the reality behind the signs. I need the gospel to cleanse me. I don't need my cleanse myself for the gospel. Yeah. So the nature of the work of Christ must qualify the nature of the Lord's table. We don't have different principles and understanding of things like that that is totally inconsistent with the framework we have already from and, just the work of Christ. And what Aldo just described is really the definition of what it is of what the theology of the cross is. Mm, yeah, well, you we're know, going to get to that it, part it, it, in, in just a moment, but yeah. but to that that very point though of how a theology of glory is so deeply ingrained in us. We're always crying out to be noticed. And we want to be a contributor. We want to be the star. And we don't realize that when we do that, we take those very things that God has appointed for building us up and to, 
to, to bring us into his story and we make it about us and, and, and you know, we put ourselves in the wrong, you know, and, and we expect the wrong things yeah. from mm-hmm. the sacraments. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I confess something. I remember when I first used to go to the Lord's table, I used to like grab the sacraments and like, all right, I have to feel really bad right now. <laughs> Music, please. Yeah. And I was like, when I feel like, I've, like I'm feel bad enough, then I could take it. And what I was doing was I was making repentance another Jesus. Mm, yeah. I understand repentance is necessary. We come to the Lord's table in faith and repentance, two angles of the same coin. But if I'm saying there's a level of sorrow that qualifies me to receive the Lord's graces signified to me, what I'm saying is I have now made a Messiah out of my sadness. Well, well could you know? we also say that the memorial view of the supper is a manifestation of a theology of glory because what we're doing is celebrating a memory Mm. and if you you know just remembering what jesus did and so my memory is sharper than yours is is that a a form of of uh, a theology of glory would you say that yeah because it's also saying that i just need to remember a past event i don't need it now yes exactly i'm good now so, you know, that, be, that being the case, then let's look at how a theology of the cross, God hidden, as that is applied to the Lord's table. Why is that liberating? I think it shows what ought to be at the center of the Christian worship service. If the early Christians celebrated the Lord's Supper every time they gathered at home in different places, and, mm-hmm. and it was that meal that was at the center uh, of their celebration. And then it says in 1 Corinthians uh, 11 that every time you do this, you proclaim the Lord's death, death mm-hmm. till he return. Mm-hmm. You proclaim the Lord's death. So the worship service, the Christian worship service is about the constant proclamation of the Lord's death right. until he returns. And he did that for us to forgive us of our sins. And, and it's interesting that Greek word that's translated proclaim is translated in other places as preach. Yeah. We are proclaiming. Yeah. And sometimes I think people assume that the proclamation is primarily as a tool of evangelism for unbelievers. But I I think that misses the point, and certainly that would be true, that if unbelievers are present, then not only have they heard the word proclaimed uh, verbally, but they are seeing it as the Lord's, as as the uh, covenant community received from the table, they are seeing it visibly displayed. But isn't it really a proclamation to the believing sinner who has now are are reminded as they have examined themselves, they are reminded through that cup and through that bread that your sins are forgiven. Right. I mean, Paul is speaking to believers when he's saying, examine yourself. He's not speaking to unbelievers, but to your point and what you were saying, I think in our Baptist circles, and I'll say that as a Baptist myself. Not all Baptist circles. Right, but... But as a Baptist myself, <laughs> yes. you know, uh, I think that that was our view or that was my view, you know, which is uh, we, we come to the Lord's Supper. If you're a believer, you partake of this as yeah. a remembrance, yeah. you yeah, know, of the something that, yeah. that, that, that happened long ago. Yeah. Uh, and, and you do so as uh, it's kind of like it, it's kind of something that you do if you merit it. You know, ah. if you oh, you're doing so if you're if you're good enough to partake of this celebration of something that happened years ago, that yeah. you partake of it. And it's an opportunity now for us to be able to evangelize those yeah. that are in the church that are non-believers and, and remind them about the, the well, you know, blood, 
Well, well, well let's, let's, especially in talking about it, the hiddenness of God. Isn't God also hidden in the receiving of the sacrament? Isn't he hidden as the one who serves us? Because mm -hmm. he is also serving us. And that is, a, a, again, we are being fed. We know that we are eating and receiving of the elements that point us to the body and blood of Christ. Mm -hmm. But we're being served by God in the same way. And you addressed this, uh, David, in, in your, your message uh, Friday night. You, you mentioned Peter and Jesus washing his feet. Mm, yeah. And when we come to the table, isn't that equivalent to Jesus? Because that was the same night. Right. Right. That's, yeah. that's that, Jesus washing our feet. Yeah. Well, he said they were about to deny him, to run away, to be scattered, to abandon him. Yes. If the gospel is about your commitment to follow Christ and such a repentance that you are full and 100% committed to Christ, then those disciples fail miserably. Amen. But yet Jesus Christ was there to serve them and to give a memorial that was not just for them to pay, for the disciples to pay homage to Christ, yeah. Yeah. but for Christ to say to them, no matter what you do, here's my ring, my signet ring. And he's I will always feeding love us. He, he's feeding us. And brothers and sisters, we can't forget that. When we come to the table, we are the recipients and God is the one who's serving us. He is the penitent father who is preparing a meal for his wayward children. And guess which ones you are? You're the wayward child. Yes. Listen, that's all the time we have for this part of our discussion. But at this point, we're going to take on some questions yeah. that have been raised. So, Jose, you are our question master. So what do we have? Yeah, well, let me let me start with a question uh, regarding Friday night's message, uh, your message, Ken. Um, and, uh, and it's a question. Uh, first of all, I want to say thank you to those who sent us out questions and stuff. Uh, this is good stuff because I, I can see how in these questions uh, the Lord is stirring uh, really people's hearts with some of the things that were said. Mm. And one of the things that this person says, it says, uh, it was said in one of uh, the messages on Friday night that the Bible is not a how-to book. However, along with this presentation of the gospel, the Bible contains very instructive and practical guidelines for Christian living. The book of Proverbs illustrates this well. Why is it that the reform ministers hardly ever address practical things or topics for Christian living? Okay, first off, if there is such a, a reform preacher who does not um, deal with practical implications of the gospel or uh, living or whatever, that's not a good preacher. And, and, and it's easy to raise straw man arguments about what is or is not being proclaimed. So that's that's one thing. I You're going to have to give me examples. I can give you a thousand and one examples of preaching that centers on practical application. But the purpose of preaching is not practical application, yeah. period. Yeah. The purpose, the primary purpose of the Bible is to reveal the person at God's salvation through the person and work of his son. In getting that message across, it is given to us in types and shadows. It is given to us in the broader context of historical narrative. And it, the Bible contains a lot of different types of literature because the individual authors of the books of the Bible didn't have the same intention as the divine author. Mm -hmm. That has to be made clear. Yes, that's a good point. So mm -hmm. their purpose, when Paul wrote 
to the Ephesians, uh, the, the, the church at, at Ephesus, he was, his purpose was to address certain issues. God's purpose was to use his address to the Ephesians to lay out the person and work of his son. You know, and it's a beautiful thing to see that even, even though Paul had specific issues that he was dealing with, he still, he still spends, you know, three chapters, half, half the letter, uh, emphasizing, right. you know, the gospel. Yeah. Yes. So I think if we, we have to understand what is the intent of the divine author for the entire revelation, for the entire book of the Bible, that being the case, we don't deny that there is a book of poetry and that those poems or those songs deal with a lot of different issues. What I said in my message was that the primary purpose of the scriptures is to reveal God's salvation through the person and work of his son. There are secondary purposes of the scripture. And if you just read the Bible, uh, just, just read the wisdom literature, we would be more, more studious. We would be better stewards. But the purpose of the Bible is not for you to be a better steward. Yeah, I think, go ahead. No, I was thinking in terms of uh, the book of Proverbs specifically. If you have a sermon on the book of Proverbs and all you give is the practicalities that the book talks about, let's say, you know, I think it's chapter five or six that deals with a man that should not go near the house of the prostitute. If that's where you leave it, you're not preaching the full counsel of God. That's right. Because God goes further than that from the practicality. He takes you to the perfect. And the perfect is the law. And the law says, not only are you not to go near the prostitute's house, you're not even to look at her with lust in your heart. Or and think the, about her. And the sermon is not <laughs> yeah. over yet. So from the practicality of wisdom literature to the perfection of the law, and then where to? Yeah. To Christ, to the, perf to the person. Three Ps. From the practice to the perfect to the person. And that therein lies the full counsel of God. And then you will be through the Holy Spirit, through the preaching of God's full counsel that leads you to Christ, you will be transformed mm. to start having other affections and to be weary of going down the path of the prostitute's house. The Apostle Paul in uh, 1 Corinthians 2, 2, he says, I decided to know nothing, nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's a strange thing for Paul to say to the Corinthians because in the Corinthian letter, you have how women and men should interact with each other. You have, mm -hmm. hey, you talk about sexual immorality, uh, cliques, uh, you know, marriage, uh, sexuality. There's a Christians lot of- Christians suing one another. Yeah. yeah. There's a lot of practical issues addressed, but Paul says, I am always saying, Christ and him crucified, which means that practical implications or any sort of details of Christianity, they're always being spoken of in the context of that redemptive Christ-centered epicenter that is radiating in the midst of everything. So whatever, if, you, if by practicality you mean hijacking practicality to kind of be some competitive focus, then that's wrong. But if you mean practicality, is we're speaking about everyday things in the Christian life as it flows from and goes towards and radiates around the centrality of the gospel, then it's appropriate. So it's, it's, it's an issue of emphasis, priority, and how you organize practicalities and, without, and, without totally saying they're irrelevant. Well, and, and let me ask this. Maybe my experience is different, but I doubt it. Um, it seems to me that as we present Christ clearly and consistently, people are able to integrate 
or make application of those expositions in their own way. Right. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, in a we, way, you're, what you're saying... You're going to go grocery shopping now? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> go ahead and say that, Ken. Well, yeah, what, what David is referring to is oftentimes when, we, when it comes to preaching, people say, I come to church, you know, I got a good meal. And my, I, I say that that's true, and especially as we receive the Lord's Supper, but really the ordinary preaching and teaching of God's Word is not like going to a restaurant and ordering a meal off of a menu but it's really like going to a grocery store where you get all of the ingredients and then you take it to your home and you make a meal that's suitable for the appetites of your family. Yeah. What I don't want when I go to the grocery store, and that's just because I'm a cantankerous person and I don't like going to the grocery store, but when I go to the grocery store and I'm paying, I'm getting ready to pay for the food, I don't really want the cashier to say, oh, what are you going to do with that ground beef? It's none of your business, you know, <laughs> or who's, or what are you going to fix? So just let me pay for the food. Because we, we like our food a particular way in our home. And that's the responsibility of the Christian father, the, the head of the household. You take that food and you make it applicable and necessary for you. Or just the individual who's hearing it. You have heard the, the gospel. Now you take the ingredients of the gospel and prepare the food or the meal that's necessary for your family. So the yeah. sanctuary and the preaching hour is not the counseling room, is it? No, no. it's the support not. support group time. No, yeah. it isn't. It yeah. isn't. And it doesn't mean it, we won't touch on certain sure. things, especially yeah. as you deal with the narrative portions, the historical yeah. narratives. You're going to deal with some issues that are similar to those things that we encounter. But our goal is to preach Christ. But wouldn't you say that as you deal with that, you must preach the law, and I hate to be Lutheran yes. again, but he's the one no, that... Well, you, that's the, okay. You, the, you're, you're out now. You're, you're among friends. The framework of law and gospel is that when you're going to preach ethical things, yeah. you just don't leave it at the practical level because that cuts deeper to the issue of the heart, to the corruption and depravity of the heart that must be addressed yeah. so that you will finally say... Who shall deliver me from this body of death? Amen. Yeah. And Jesus may come yeah. to the rescue. And, yeah. and I think I think uh, this kind of thinking, I'm not, and I'm not particularly getting at this person. So if you're here and you're the one that wrote this question, oh boy. No. I, I'm not I'm not getting at you. <laughs> but, but I am. But this particular, <laughs> but this particular kind of what is good. <laughs> yeah, this particular kind of question, and some of the other ones that we've had considering works. And, you know, uh, Jesus speaks on works a lot. So why, you know, how come? All those kind of questions. Uh, I think they, they give us sort of a, of a manifestation of, of the theology of glory once yeah. again. Yeah. Why? Because we're coming to church and we're coming to church asking the question, Pastor, what do I do? Right. Yeah. That's the yeah. question. Pastor, right. if, if you're going to give me a good sermon, it needs to be a sermon that tells me what I need to do. You want to get sinners to the point that they, how many times have you been in a situation that you tell folks, mm -hmm. um, don't preach to me. I don't mm. need a sermon. You want to get sinners to the point where they say to you, pastor, preach to me. Amen. Give me Christ. Amen. Yes. Listen, we could go on, but we're going to have to end it here. Um, <laughs> this is a good discussion. We will continue our, our, our conversation on Luther's theology of the cross versus the theology of glory. And we will continue in our next session, which is also going to be from the sanctuary, and we will continue with questions and answers. So thank you for joining us on Saints and Sinners Unplugged. We look forward to being with you again next week.